Welcome in everyone to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan and we've got a win. Maybe not the win we were all hoping for, but we got a win. And keep in mind through this entire discussion that that is the most important thing. A win where everyone came out healthy. But awful lot to get into. A lot, an awful lot to discuss. So let's not delay. Let's go ahead and introduce the guys. He's going to raise baby JJ with a very different version of Little Red Riding Hood. Jacob Allen is with us. What's going on, man? Uh, Sean, let me first start by taking a jab at you and say, last week you said, I just can't imagine how the Chiefs will lose to the Texans. I have a lot better idea after uh, this week how, how it could have possibly happened because they got close. And one more thing, I, I know he hasn't been introduced yet, but... I think it's safe to say we should never do the show when it's two people because when we do, Tyree Kill gets traded or the Chiefs beat the Texans in overtime. I'm all for that. Speaking of, this is exactly why he prefers Tiger to Wolves after what went on Twitter today. Sam Black is back with us. What's going on, man? Fully believe the man was just trying to get a down payment on a new pass rusher. <laughs> Set the man free. I am Sean Deegan, and as an Irishman, this is exactly why I believe alcoholics are safer than chiefsaholics. Let's go ahead and get into the discussion. If you don't know any of those references that were made just now, then you are not on Twitter or not on Twitter enough, because Chiefs Twitter is fun right now. Uh, Sean, you're a funny guy, but let me please credit you. You know, I took a jab at you to start. Let me credit you now and say that was been one of your better intros. It's not a I, high bar, but I'll take it. <laughs> I, I actually laughed out loud. That's that's good for me. Oh well, we. I'm glad we can get some laughs here at the top because, good freaking lord, not a whole lot to laugh about during the game unless you were trying to keep from crying. Uh, as the Chiefs do get the win, like I said at the top, it's important to remember the Chiefs did win in overtime against the hapless Houston Texans, 30 to 24 on the heroic back of Jarek McKinnon, who I'm ready to give a five-year lifetime, five-year to lifetime contract with the Chiefs with how he's performed here down the stretch. Not in the game we wanted, although I, I did say, I think we both talked about it, Jake, last week, that this is, seems like the kind of game that it could end up being one of those things where the Chiefs mess around and let the, the Texans hang around. My final score actually kind of indicated that. I thought the Chiefs would win 31-23. Didn't think they'd have to go to overtime to get there, but that's where we're at. So before we get into anything specific, I just want to know what was your guys' reaction to this game? During, you know, once the regulation was over, once overtime was done, how did you react? How were you feeling? Um, Sam, since you are back with us, thank goodness, we will let you start. I think during, it was just, constant what is happening type view like i'm just like what's going on like this is ridiculous and then when it was over it was what just happened overall just a lot of confusion and not really knowing where to put my belief within the chiefs right now i guess jacob what about you what, what were your feelings what was your reaction when it was finally all said and done I know I get this way, and I know it's a real dad answer of me to, to be the way that I'm about to answer this. But let me first uh, backtrack and say, you know, when Sean asked me last week, what does a Chiefs loss look like? 
I nearly nailed it. I just missed out on one turnover because we had brought up all the things that happened in the Colts game, and we nearly seriously nailed it outside of there was a second turnover. We had a Chiefs personal foul. We had a Butker miss field goal and an extra point. We had random turnovers. We had no turnovers coming from the Chiefs direction, right? Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the Chiefs forced any turnovers. No, they forced turnover at the, the end. end of the game. The very yeah. end saves them. The very end. Yeah. So the turnover rate, not in the Chiefs' favor. So just weird that even though we were joking, we nearly nailed it. So maybe we should joke about predictions more often. But here's the dad part of the answer. I'm just enjoying watching that guy, Patrick Mahomes, play football. What a great time to watch that young man come back and win in overtime again. Who cares if the Chiefs don't have a defense at all? That was that was that was part of how I react. The other part was I already shared pre-podcast was that when Butker missed the field goal in regulation, the play that I was at with my son had started. So I was about ready to lose my mind of knowing that I wasn't going to see the end of it and we have a serious addiction. Not not as bad as like you said, I don't need to rob a bank to fund my addiction. <laughs> but yeah, I it was all around disappointing and i really have fallen back into the let's just see what happens in the playoffs but i'm not optimistic i didn't get to watch this game full disclosure live i was at a friend's house meeting their their newborn for the first time very it was a great day it was a lot more fun than what whatever the hell was going on tv with the chiefs at the time excuse me i just like watching that young man patrick mahomes play football it's a fun time time on this earth's limited sean he's he is great uh, he is great, and that is a saving grace of this team, is that Patrick Holmes is great. I told uh, Lauren uh, that I got to listen to the end of Let me back up. I got to listen to the end of the game on the way back home, and once it was over, I turned to Lauren. I said, no one should be happy about this win at all. Like, be happy that you won and that it's over. You scraped out, but if anyone comes out and goes, hey, way to band together, screw you. This is not the game to do that in. Having actually watched the game today and gotten to see it start to finish, I don't know if I have that same level of visceral reaction. If you look at the stats, it's, it's one of those games. It's like, oh, if this was literally any other game against almost anybody else in the AFC, you've been like, well, they played a... a not their best, and they were to scrape by with a win. Because it's the Texans, it just feels worse, feels gross. And I think that's kind of where I'm at. I don't feel as bad and viscerally angry as I did when I, I got to listen to the end and then get the full picture. Um, but I'm still just kind of left with more closer to what Sam was saying. It's like, how how is this possible that we got to this point? Sean, let me add an asterisk to your statement. The Texans with like seven guys out of which were about the only seven names I knew besides Davis Mills. Yeah. Playing a two-quarterback system, like we're D2 college, or, you know, hapless KU days, one of those two. So basically what I got out of that is Sean's initial reaction was an overreaction? What a shock. <laughs> who would have thunk? Well, Sam, let's, let's not get too crazy, and then Jacob's reaction was the reaction dads have. Right. It's just like everyone's filling a certain role that they've filled for a hot minute now. Uh, 
So what is what is the problem though? Because this is something we've talked about since like we started talking together about Chiefs is that whenever it's a team they should smoke. It's always close. It's even if they get to like a double digit lead or a double uh, two score lead, excuse me. It's it's never pretty. It's always a grind. It's never as easy as some of these other teams make it look. Where like you know the Eagles go in, and they blow out the Titans or something like that. And so I started to wonder like, is this more of a coaching problem, or is it a player problem? Is it coaches not getting through to the players and the coaches? No, I don't. What what is the problem to you guys? Is it more coaching? Is it more you know, player attitudes? Do the Chiefs need to be looking at different types of players with a certain kind of attitude? Where are we at with this, Jacob? We'll let you bat lead off this time. Well, I'd like to answer, I don't know, but then uh, our job here becomes completely pointless because we're supposed to have at least half answers to all these questions. This one was a little bit harder to swallow because the Texans are just such a bad team, yet they seemingly drove the ball down the field in a couple of really important moments, which was the most disappointing part of the game because, again, they had a large tight end that gave the Chiefs lots of problems, which we've seen in past years. Uh, it would be nice to have four of those like the Chiefs do and be able to use them the same way. But that was the disappointing part of it. And I think the part where you're like, can that be fixed? Because it doesn't seem like it being a mentality thing versus a roster talent thing. And I, I just don't know. I know Spag's got a lot of heat this week, but how much of that's warranted, I know we're getting into, I think, a little bit later. But I guess the other part of it would be I have a short day at school tomorrow, and it's the last day before winter break. Do you think I'm going in there tomorrow thinking this is the day we do the hard lesson? Fair comp. Fair comp. Sam, what about you? Do you think this is more of a – coaches inability to get through to the players or coaches not taking this seriously or players, you know, looking at this on the schedule and going, Oh, I just get to eat today. We can take a load off. Yeah. I wish I had a definitive answer. I guess I'd probably be uh, in a much higher paying job if I did at that point um, to answer the chief's questions as to why this keeps happening. Cause again, the, the thing is, this isn't a isolated incident with the chiefs. And it's not isolated even to the, just this year. It seems to be a regular occurrence for us that we make games out of things that shouldn't be even close to be, being games on paper. And that's why I just scrapped my original idea because I was going to say, you know, blame it on youth. Blame it on, on having a young turnover, having a bunch of guys, that, especially on the defense. But, again, we, we see this more frequently I think than we'd like to with the Chiefs throughout the years or throughout specifically the last couple of years of making hard get harder games out of games that shouldn't really be a problem just putting teams away and since it tends to be a, a chronic thing I almost feel I hate to say it's coaching because it's just like blaming that on coaches is is a weird thing to say for the NFL is like that's what they do for a living, and I don't think you'd be in Andy Reid's position if you had that real kind of issue, but it, it almost boils down to that level. So I, I imagine it's a combination of both. I mean, at the end, end of the day, one thing I think everyone should remember is, yes, the Texans are bad, 
but it's still the NFL. Like these guys are athletes and they are on the starting roster. Now, whether you say want to say that roster is good or not, it's still in starting NFL roster. So they are still players and they can still make plays. And they made a few more plays than the Chiefs did through a lot of the game, primarily making turnovers, which I think is probably the biggest key of this game is short field advantages, basically. Let me also criticize us real quick because the other part of it, while we've become such a whiny fan base, is because of the Super Bowl expectation. We are, I don't know, 20-ish minutes in at this point. We haven't even mentioned that the Chiefs won the AFC West because we have gotten to be such a elitist. <laughs> no, that's not a big deal to us. Who cares? Doesn't matter anymore. Back in the day, would have been stoked. And this is why it's just good to have Sam back. Our, our voice of reason. Jacob's usually the ever positive. I tend to go the other way, and Sam's usually kind of right down the middle. And having you guys kind of bring me back from the edge is helpful because I I was like, good God, what are we doing? Like, how is how does Andy Reid not have these guys ready to go? I don't I don't have a good answer. I don't know if anybody will have a good answer. It just seems like this this team knows how good it is. You know, the players know how good they are, and they know what they're actually playing for. I wonder how much of the Super Bowl expectation that fans have is is not just one that they have as players. Obviously, players, I think, probably have higher expectations of themselves than any fan ever could. But when you have that level of, it's we have to get to the Super Bowl, I wonder if that makes games like this more difficult to get up for. Even with a great game plan, even with a nearly fully healthy roster, you know, even with some of the best coaching minds in, in the NFL on your side and the best quarterback in the NFL, maybe that seeps in and it gets harder to get up. Because I there are moments where I thought the Chiefs actually looked like, oh yeah, this is the part where they they pull away. And it just never came. It never happened. So I I will I would offer up maybe that it's more of a player thing than is a coaching thing. But I, I don't know if there is a good answer. I think we would need to hear from somebody in that locker room to get a definitive statement one way or the other. So this last question, before we dive into specific offensive and defensive sides of the football is one I want to put out there with the caveat of don't do what I did and overreact uh, chief's kingdom. Just take a deep breath and, and answer this and answer this question for yourself as best we can. We're certainly going to do the same here. Chiefs did win the AFC West. It's their seventh straight. That's bananas, especially if you're a Chiefs fan that watched them be awful for a long time. But do you think after this game that you can reasonably still say the Chiefs are Super Bowl contenders? Do they have enough? Do they have enough experience? Do they have enough talent? Did we maybe overestimate certain parts of this team? You know, what What do you guys think? Do you think that with the other teams in the AFC, with the Bills, the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Bengals especially, that the Chiefs have enough juice to get back to the Super Bowl? Sam, we'll let you bat lead off on this one. Yes. And that's not nearly as confident of a yes as it was at the beginning of the season. You can't say we're not to bowl contenders. 
I mean, you still, I hate to fall back on him, still got Patrick Mahomes. Guy is very good at playing football and will scratch out a win in games where it's like everyone else is trying to lose and Pat's like, no, that's not what we do. Guys, come on, stop playing around. Fine, I'll do it myself, and we'll have a conversation about this in the car. Like, that's just kind of the way I feel like he has to talk to the offense sometimes. It's just like, all right, all right, I'm going to turn the car around. <laughs> Let's. You definitely have some question marks. I mean, it's going to be – we've seen a lot of the teams that we had a little bit of questions. The Bengals at the beginning of the year obviously weren't looking great and have turned it around second half of the season. And then the Dolphins and Bills who are – Looking, I mean, Dolphins, I don't think the Dolphins are quite the caliber as the Bengals and and uh, Bills are this year, or yet, as of yet, but they are still, I mean, they have some of the more explosive weapons in the NFL. So I will say yes, but there is a slight hesitation in that. Jacob, what about you? What, do you? what are your thoughts? Do you think that this team, as it stands right now, is still a a top super a Super Bowl contender, someone that you feel can actually get to the big game. That was my question back to you is, does this team still have Patrick Mahomes? Because they'll always be a Super Bowl contender with him. Now, are they the, necessarily the favorite? Again, I'm sticking with my answer I gave last week of, I want to see what the path to the Super Bowl is, because that'll make a big difference for me. I could paint you a picture on both things, a first-round exit or a Super Bowl win. Uh, I do think that one seed is becoming more ever-present with the Bengals moving, uh, I think, in front of the Ravens for the division at this point, and then the Chargers moving into the playoffs over the over the, the Patriots. So I think the one seed is becoming more important just as from a standpoint. The biggest thing I'm debating is one of – you know, the defense wasn't great, like I said. They, I don't know if they can turn it around. But the other thing that 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 the 2018, 2019 versions of the Chiefs had was the offense just was able to flip a switch on and drop 28 points. The Warriors type mentality that other guys have made the comps of, and we agreed with. I think it still might be in there because this team turned it on after the Travis Kelsey uh, personal foul. It was just like. Okay, this team still might have that switch in them, which is what I think is going to be the key down the stretch. What I'm trying to say is it's going to have to be the 2018 Chiefs of being an offsides away from a Super Bowl trip and Patrick Mahomes just putting up insane numbers. I'm with Sam and you. I say yes, but it is, it is that they are a contender, not a favorite, and may you not even be a top three contender from a – if you look at – a team as a whole i think what pushes them into you know a top two favorite if you were going to go that far is patrick mahomes he's the one that kind of makes all of the the sore spots on this team go away he just kind of soothes it along and does his thing i don't think that the tackles on this team leave me with enough hope. I don't know if the defense leaves me with enough hope that this should be the favorite team, but I still think, yes, they are a contender as long as 15 is under center. So let's 
get a little more specific because I feel like we're dancing around it wanting to get a bite at that apple. So let's do it. Chase offense does put up 30 points. Took him to overtime to get there, but they did it. They didn't have two turnovers, however, and could have had a third. Uh, Patrick Mahomes did have a fumble that was recovered by the Chiefs. So able to dodge a bullet there. But the Chiefs, right up until four minutes left in the game, or four minutes left in six minutes left in overtime, were minus two in this turnover differential in the game, and then they end the game at minus one. That one they get on the fumble recovery from Willie Gay Jr. after a strip sack by Frank Clark could not have been more important. All of that probably could have been avoided if the kicking game for Kansas City had not been a giant catastrophe. It's been a problem all year, not something that we are used to seeing from Harrison Butker. You know, the joke was, oh, if it's, you know, outside of 35 yards, he's fine. If it's over 50, he's guaranteed to kick it and do just fine. But to miss a field goal, to miss that could have ended the game, to miss an extra point that put the Chiefs in a position where they had to go for two late in the game to, to keep a, a full one possession lead. All of those things put added pressure on this team. One aspect that has now kind of been thrown into this debate about, man, Harrison Bucker really struggling, what's gone wrong, is are the comments that have been, were made on Sunday from Dustin Colquitt. Uh, our, one of our favorites, Seren Petro, tweeted out, uh, on, uh, tweeted out yesterday, after one of Bucker's misses, Bucker is officially a problem. Colquitt responded to him and said, watch the holds and try saying that again. On the extra point, the laces are facing the sidelines. He screwed him all year. He, meaning Tommy Townsend. Colquitt responded to a few other fans after that saying, you know, I love his punting game, but his holding is a problem. Kind of essentially was the, the, the tenor of it all. So what do you guys make of all that? It's, it's been a problem, but what do you make of... Dustin Colquitt's comments, the kicking game, and how does how does Colquitt's perspective on holds from Townsend affect how you view uh, Butker's struggles? Um, Jacob, we'll go ahead and let you bat lead off on this one. I mean, Sky Moore's hands on special teams are pretty good, so maybe he could try holding kicks for Butker. I mean, we've tried to force him into special teams positions he's not qualified at before, so why not try him at holder? I mean, I mentioned it probably two years ago when we were having issues of I did notice Townsend with some weird crooked holds, and I am no kicking expert. Let me let me start by saying that. But now let me say that I feel like a kicking expert post-Dustin Colquitt telling me I was onto something two years ago. So let me be the first to say that I've got this all figured out, and I am now a Chiefs super fan, which means I'm about two years from federal prison. Not to kick a horse when it's down. The Broncos won this week. And now I don't know where I am. I'm lost. <laughs> Just kidding. No. Yeah, I don't know. I do wonder if there is some thinking behind, should you have a different holder? We know they had to think about, should we have a different punt returner? And they changed that. I know in the good old days, the backup quarterback used to hold the snap, and then Tony Romo had to go and ruin that for everybody. And also probably not a good idea to have your quarterback's million dollar fingers near a kicker's swinging leg that that probably also was a part of it 
but I do wonder if they think about that or if that is truly a problem. Sam, what about you? How did the comments from Dustin Colquitt affect your your views and opinions on the kicking situation with Butker struggles? I think where uh, Jacob misstated was that he said he was going to be in federal prison. I think what he meant to say he was going to be in a psychiatric ward, sitting there going, Finkel and Einhorn, Finkel and Einhorn, Finkel and Einhorn, Finkel and Einhorn. <laughs> the laces are out! <laughs> And if people don't know what Jacob looks like, he does have a bit of Ace Ventura hair going on right now, so it, it's fitting. Uh, but no, he, obviously the – I will agree, I'm not, not a kicking expert in any sense, not a aspect of football I participated in in any aspect, long snapping, holding, or trying to kick. I'm just going to blame Sky Moore on this one too and just say Dave Tobe was taking too much time trying to correct Sky Moore catching punts and – Forgot to look at Tommy Townsend, how he's holding the ball, I guess. I have no idea. I guess that's I, that's logical if if our forever MVP says that that's what's happening, I will believe our forever MVP at all times. Here's the part I find really concerning about how the Chiefs coaches have handled this situation. They could have... At any point, when a reporter asked him about Butker, say, he's doing fine, we're working on some things, um, specifically there have been a couple of things with the holds um, that we're trying to you know, do some different things with and go from there. The entire year, they basically said that Butker is going to come back around. It's not, you know, you know, despite his struggles, you know, acknowledging that he's not been good, but, you know, and supporting him saying he's going to come back. My question is, you know, I know you're joking a bit, Sam, about Dave Tobe focusing too much on Sky Moore, but has Dave Tobe looked at all at Tommy Townsend? Like, that's my that's my one concern, is, is this news from Dustin Colquitt to the Chiefs coaching staff? Because if it is, that is an incredible oversight on their part. No idea if they knew. Maybe they're just trying to protect Townsend and, and they're doing it by, you know, just getting all comments behind Butker of, you know, he'll figure it out, it'll all be good, without trying to give too much away. But if if the questions come out from reporters this week about Colquitt's comments and the coaches don't give like a definitively satisfying answer about, yep, we knew it, we just didn't want to like create more attention to it than it needed to be. Towns is working incredibly hard with a lot of diligence to fix this. And we anticipate that it'll be a rectified situation where both Butker and Townsend are, are clicking here going forward, ready for the playoffs. If it's not that, I'm really concerned. Because that, to me, means you didn't know this was going on. And I, I'm not sure what that means for, you know, Dave Tobe, who we've already, everyone's already been really frustrated with this throughout this year, going forward. But that's the only thing I would add to what you guys are saying is I, I want to know, did they know about this before Colquitt said something? Next thing about the offense is one that Jacob had mentioned at the top. And this is about the penalties and the turnovers. Chiefs, like Jacob said, get the two, fumble the ball away twice and rack up. 10 penalties for a cool 102 yards. Now, two of those, 
you can make a pretty good argument uh, were a result of the Sheffer's effect. But outside of that, I think it's maybe a little harder to say. And eight penalties is still bad. And especially when five of those penalties resulted in first downs for the Houston Texans. This has always been something that Andy Reid teams have had to kind of deal with and, and struggle through. And with Patrick Mahomes, it's kind of been something you've been able to you know, overshadow and get by. If the turnovers and penalties are not cleaned up, how far can realistically go in the playoffs? Um, Jacob, we'll let you bat lead off on this one. Not very. Not very. Because, again, like I said, I can paint you a picture where they are out in the first round because of turnovers and penalties in a bad matchup against the Chargers. Sam, what about you? If, if the turnovers continue and the Chiefs don't somehow manage to stabilize this turnover differential and they keep committing penalties at this rate, What's a realistic expectation for the Chiefs in terms of a playoff run? How how did our playoff run end in 2018? Well, that was just painful. A penalty. Um, let's make it more painful. Did you remember when Frank Clark had an offsides this week and they said offsides 55? Yeah. With the way that the team's been, it, and again, we could go into next week with a team that has performed a lot better and play up to our expectations and we'll have a very different view on this, but with the way we played, I will say the past three weeks, we can't play anything but a perfect game and expect to go past the first or second round of the playoffs. Not even adding in how just ridiculous in general uh, officiating has been this year throughout the entire NFL. So you can't, I mean, if they're already calling stuff on, Everybody, and this isn't a Chief-centric aspect. This is just a call out of, again, the referees in the NFL and that they should be full-time employees, not lawyers that come and have fun on Sunday. But it's just a it, you can't give them more excuses to, to pull the laundry out. But that will be a, a full discussion for another day as far as how we fix this crap because, yeah, there's got to be penalties or something that go to these refs because if players are getting fined for – the penalties they're committing, the refs need to be getting fined for calling penalties that don't exist or something along those lines. Sorry on tangent, but I've just watched so many this last couple of weeks. I'm just like, what the what is happening? Like, why is this still a thing? Are you, are you trying to tell me that Travis Kelsey's pushing too hard was not egregious? Travis Kelsey pushed too hard sometimes. <laughs> I would I would push too hard too if my head was pushed into the turf. Yeah. I think that's the thing that will have Chiefs fans nervous is that even in a run that took you to an AFC championship game, sloppy plays what stopped you from going to a Super Bowl. And that's and that's what I would consider a deep run. You know, you got to an AFC championship game. That is a successful season, full stop. And, and then you get to this point where it's like, oh, but you have Super Bowl aspirations and the idea of coming up short in an AFC championship game, especially for the Chiefs, when how you have lost in the AFC, the AFC championship game two out of the last four years has been excruciating. Or two out of the last five years, excuse me. I guess this is the fifth year. But losing, losing like you did to the Bengals with sloppy play, penalties, turnovers, losing like you did to... The Patriots, sloppy play, penalties, poor defense. 
those are the kinds of things that will kill you. Can I ask you this then, Sean, on the thought that you had of what's a successful season this year then? What will you be satisfied with? I I still, I, uh, again, it depends on how they lose, right? I think that's going to be the thing. Because an a, I, I still think an AFC championship, an AFC conference championship, is a big game to get to. That's that's a successful season to me. How it ended last year against the Bengals really kind of nullified that feeling. And and you feel like you left a lot on the table. If they come out and it's you know Bills, Chiefs, and they and they're on the wrong end of it this time, hats off to the Bills. Josh Allen got them. The other alien in the NFL won, and and you can you it'll hurt, but you can feel good knowing that you left it all on the field. It's when you have dumb penalties, silly unforced mistakes with turnovers, and over pursuit on defense, things like that. It's it's the little things where you're not playing assignment sound, or just smart in general, that leaves you feeling unfinished like it's a it's a sour end to what should have been a really good season even when you lose so i think it's a great question jacob and i will stick by afc championship game with the caveat that if it ends in a way that it did with patriots or the bengals something where it's silly and it's not just you got beat then it, it, it may not i may have reneged slightly on that answer let me ask you a follow-up follow-up question because it's related to that question of then what gets there's always people that want to get fired coordinators fired what gets the coordinators terminated how far in the playoffs makes them safe this year i think they're probably fine because you don't have a bob sutton level catastrophe waiting in the wings as far as we can tell Unless, like, the rest of this season, Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley get worse, you know, maybe then it's it's a maybe not a firing, but a parting of the ways with the enemy. And they start looking at different, maybe Matt Nagy fills that role, and they start that cycle over again of who's the next quarterback coach that starts working with Mahomes and is groomed to be the next offensive coordinator. Maybe that's what starts the cycle over. I think something really bad would have to, to happen for Spags to be let go. And and that's and I still am in favor of keeping Spags. I'm not sure this is necessarily all his fault, but I think we don't have a catastrophe waiting in the wings to push somebody out like we did with Bob Sutton. Well, then let me ask you this. Was an AFC championship appearance enough to save Bob Sutton's job? For him, I think if they win, it would have. But no. And I think part of that, though, is that the defense in front of not just your fans, but the world, you saw that that they were the problem. And then when you pair that with where they finished statistically throughout the year being dead last, it, I don't think even Andy could protect his guy at that point. I, I think because my answer is I think the only for sure safety is Super Bowl appearance for all of all coordinators. I think you could easily make a case and also on top of the Bob Sutton thing it was like that was Patrick Mahomes first year how much higher has the bar been raised now there's less patience from all parties now fans I hope ownership you would hope that they have the higher bar at this point but that's how I feel about it just something that I've been entertaining because of you can find someone who wants to fire a coordinator every week and I wanted to put actual real parameters on it 
Last thing here on the offense, and we'll flip this coin, go to the other side of the ball, but we got to talk about the man under center, man in shotgun, wearing 15, the savior of the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if you can ever technically, statistically be perfect, but damn, he was close. Patrick Mahomes, 36 of 41 in this game, 336 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions, set a new record for completion percentage in a game. How much of this is on him? Because it seems like they need him to do this, to do this level of play to win. Because you see it like in the Bills game, he wasn't perfect, they lost. In the Bengals game, it wasn't perfect, and he lost. They they come out against the Broncos, and he was it was arguably one of his best and worst games, and they they were on the fritz against another bad football team. He came out and was almost perfect in this game, and they had to go to overtime against a bad team. How much of this team's success going forward is going to be on Patrick Mahomes? Because it doesn't look like he's going to be able to consistently rely on really anybody else game in and game out if his name is not Travis Kelsey. Um, Sam, we'll let you take this one first. He's a $500 million quarterback. Most of it should fall on, like, I hate, I hate to put it that way, but when you invest that much in a player, you shouldn't see anything but what we see from Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, that's not always the case. With a, in a lot of situations, but you would hope that that's what you're getting out of that type of investment. Yeah, it'd be great if anyone besides Travis, and, and I think you do have to give credit to the running backs. I feel like both McKinnon and Pacheco have done very well picking up the slack of a lot of the rest of the, the offense where we're not moving the ball well. And again, I think it does show it. I can't remember where it's all like the frustration on, on Twitter was you've got an offensive line. Who's good at run blocking crap at pass blocking. You've got two running backs who are actually emerging and wide receivers that don't seem to be getting on the page with your quarterback and you're not running the ball. Like it, there, so there is a, a level of like what kind of production they're getting in the situations they are put in. Still, like, I remember when we signed Jarek McKinnon, and that hype still flows over to me to this day. Like, I love that guy. I loved him when he was at the Vikings and loved that signing, and he's showing that he's still a damn good football player. <laughs> but, yeah, it's I think a lot of it is going to fall on his shoulders, whether we necessarily want it or to, and that, and that, I think, comes with the territory of getting that kind of money. Unfortunately, the the part that is unfortunate for Patrick is the lack of defense is also falling on his shoulders, not just the offensive woes. And that's where it's like, oh, crap. Uh, so probably more than we would like, but it's it comes with territory of being now being in places being thought of as potentially the greatest quarterback who's ever played the game, I guess. Jacob, what about you? How much of this team's success is going to depend on Patrick Mahomes being elite game in and game out? I think we already answered this question earlier when we were asked, uh, is this team a Super Bowl contender? And we said, do they have Patrick Mahomes? So we've already said that our expectation is that 
a lot of this is could be on Mahomes, and we are trustworthy in that. So I do think we have answered that question in that sense. But like I said, I'm trending more towards this is going to have to be the 2018 Chiefs. And it also sounds like Sam might be a fan slash a listener of the show. I don't want to assume because that was one of the bright spots we took from last week was the two clear roles for the running back seems to be emerging. That may dabble. <laughs> Sam's a casual. I think, Sam, you your point about bringing up him being a $500 million quarterback is, is actually a really good reminder. I was thinking and looking at the different quarterbacks that have – that I would consider the front runners to challenge him. And it's Lamar Jackson. It's Joe Burrow. It's Tua Tagovailoa in Miami. It's Josh Allen. Those are the quarterbacks in the AFC that I'd be concerned about because of the teams that they're on. Lamar Jackson hasn't been paid his mega deal yet. Tua has not been paid as of yet. Joe Burrow hasn't been paid as of yet. Josh Allen's the only one with a major contract that you can comp. And they rely on Josh Allen for both being a quarterback and a running back half the time. So I think, whereas like my knee-jerk reaction when I heard that was like, oh, well, I mean, that's, that's kind of like, you know, maybe not holding everybody else to the same level of responsibility. I think it might, I think it's actually a really good point on second thought for me, just because, those other quarterbacks, while they have an incredible amount of help around them, when you look at you know the Bengals and the, the Dolphins specifically, they're not making that second contract money yet. So I think it's a valid point to say, yeah, he's going to be relied upon to make this team great. And I, 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 Whereas I wouldn't, I didn't initially feel that way. I think that's actually a really sobering point and one that is important to remind people like me. You're not going to be able to have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon when your quarterback's making half a billion dollars. It's not feasible. So for me, yeah, I think this team goes the way Patrick Mahomes goes. And I think that's probably going to be how it is going forward. Let's go to the other side of the ball and talk about the defense. We talked a lot about the defense last week after giving up four touchdowns to a team that had, prior to that game, scored two touchdowns since Halloween. This game, you're going up against a team that has the same number of ties as they have wins on the season, and you gave up 24. However, to play devil's advocate, the Chiefs' defense also gave up 125 total passing yards, 94 yards rushing, full stop. That's that's not terrible. <laughs> that's not that bad. So how would you guys rate this performance for the defense? Because if you if you were just looking at box scores for the team and when you didn't have the final score, you'd have thought that she's blew the Texans out of the water if you were looking at just the stats. But you see the score, and it doesn't necessarily line up. So how do we rank this one? Jacob, we'll start with you. Let me first start by coaching Sam because uh, earlier he said, I don't know, maybe I'd be on the national broadcast if I did always have an answer making more money. Sam, the, the coaching for you here is you just be as outrageous as you can each week and forget what you said the previous week, even though people can pull the clips back up. So what I'll say is 
obviously holding him down that many yards is great. We didn't talk about scoring defense at all last week and how that would actually be more important in a Patrick Mahomes led team that the defensive scoring being the bigger issue after Sean had put out all these stats about it. But again, not an issue, but it is, it's so weird. And it's also like, you're telling me Sean that turning the ball over, you know, near midfield or past midfield is a bad thing to do and hard on your defense since that happened, you know, twice, but it is just so strange. Like I said, when I opened, I said the biggest issue was when it felt like they had to get a stop. They couldn't. That was the thing that concerned me the most of just getting killed over the middle of the field and then just getting bullied by that. Whoever that guy was, eight, I think 88 for the Texans, big dude that just ran straight and got held every time. But if I'm grading it, I'm just going to go like a D. I'm not giving it an F because, like you said, the yards, there's still something there. And the defense got put in some tough positions, but also it was the Houston Texans with one guy I knew the name of. Jordan Adkins. Yeah, there's your guy. Jordan Adkins. And then Tegan Quentin Tarantino is how I would like to pronounce his name. It's actually Quentin Tar- Toronto, something like that, but Tarantino is much easier for me. I'd like to also apologize because I know Davis Mills and Laramie Tunsil, so I apologize to Laramie Tunsil. I don't view him as a Texan anymore, so that was part of why I was confused. <laughs> Chief in waiting. Sam, what about you? How would you rate this defense's performance against the Texans? So I think there does need to be a slight asterisk in this game because, you know, you know when people go to, uh, go to Africa and go on safari to watch, like, the giraffes run? I think that's what our defensive line was doing with Davis Mills. They were just in awe of watching this majestic creature <laughs> take off and wondering how his neck is supporting his head. <laughs> that might be the greatest thing ever said on this podcast. Uh, Sam, Sam, I thought I was going for low-hanging fruit by oh. making multiple jokes about armed robbery. You take the cake tonight for low-hanging no fruit. People forget how goofy this man looks. And again, I can't say anything. I'm not that great of a looking guy myself, but man has the longest neck and looks more natural in a football helmet than anyone I've ever seen because it makes his neck look proportionate to his body. So what you're saying is he wears his football helmet as often as possible. That's the only thing I can guess. Shows up to charity events in the helmet. So yeah, uh, that's my that's my excuse as to why we couldn't get any pressure on this guy was they were just just flabbergasted by by how that physically works uh you don't want to give any credit to laramie tunsil as far as the pressures go laramie tunsil's on the texans oh whoops sorry future chief laramie tunsil there we go <laughs> um <laughs> but i do want to correct you one more time real quickly george Karloftis, i've seen it twice now Got around the edge pretty quickly, had enough bend to get by his guy to rush the pass, but not enough bend to sack the quarterback. So I would like to give my guy a little credit. credit. He's done a very good, nice job of uh, launching his body at the quarterback and coming nowhere near tackling him. See, I guess I guess my thing with that, why I didn't give any credit to Larry Mittunsel is in my brain, I've, I've forgotten that the left tackle is a position because it doesn't seem to be one on our team. So I don't ever pay attention to it in any aspect so i don't get mad that's my reality but it in 
trying to answer Sean's question, I guess. Uh, part of this story is is game of, as we said, is, is short field. Defense got put in, in specifically two, two tough situations with turnovers. I, I say tough situations, not necessarily tough. I mean, we've seen plenty of punts that get taken back to that point and teams can still stop it. Like, it's it's unfortunate because you're going back out in an unexpected period. But I, I do have to – I mean, I came out so strongly on that all we need to do is get get tackles this year that I hate taking even a, a couple episodes ago that I hate taking even a step back saying we need pass rush. But we, we might need some pass rush too. I don't know how we fix this. Because uh, I, I think the the key to why our defense – fails is we can't get we can't stop them from doing what they want to do as far as sitting back in the pocket and you can have the best secondary in the world and they're going to get picked apart when you can't even touch the quarterback rating wise I won't be as harsh as Jacob I'll, I'll probably say like a C because I think most of that probably falls on the defensive line as far as why it's even why it continually drops down to like a CC minuses. They just, they just can't do anything as far as getting a pass rush. And it's just not, not conducive to a spags defense. Because if you go back to thinking about his time with the giants, it was, they got pressure with their defensive line and that's why they were successful. So when we can't do that, it kind of ruins his defense. I, I have a thought on who should who could help this team with pass rush. Um, there's a 6'4", 256-pound linebacker who you're not playing in pass situations at all, who coincidentally had his best game of the season thus far against the Texans and has shown the ability to drive a tackle into the backfield and bend around the edge with 4-5 speed. I just want Leo Chanel at edge. That's all I want. He, he's that much closer to your three-sack game. That's so close. Five tackles, one for a loss. I mean, come on, man. It's right there. He's going to fulfill your Madden dreams eventually here. Yeah. Would wreck people with a team of Leo Chanel's on Madden. I think the biggest damning thing about this defense is it has to have everyone on the field to be a C, C-minus defense right now. You can't be short... Willie Gay Jr., because then Nick Bolton doesn't work the same way. You certainly can't be short Nick Bolton, because who the hell is going to be the mic at that point and have the green dot? You can't be short Trent McDuffie, because otherwise elite receivers, no matter how good Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson cover them, will end up beating you. See Stephon Diggs, see T. Higgins, see Jamar Chase. Even even missing Frank Clark there for a minute hurt because you didn't have a defensive end who could set the edge the way he does against the run. And even when you have all those pieces together, <coughs> C-minus defense, that's, that's not good enough for how much money you're putting into this team. So for me, I, I'd say C-minus in this one. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. Um, as, as as bad as I thought it was when I was listening to the end of the game or how much I anticipated it would be. They were put in some really short fields, some bad situations, but it's the Texans, man. It has to be better. 
It has to be. You don't have to beat Laramie Tunsil. There are four other guys on that offensive line. Go hit them. Speaking of, you can't really be without a piece on this defense. Uh, can anyone tell me where Legereus Sneed was? My dear friend and favorite, Legereus Sneed, on Sunday. Because I I am a huge Legereus Sneed fan. I think I'm probably the biggest Sneed fan on this podcast. I said that he has the ability to be an all-pro. I said he would be an all-pro his second year. That did not happen. Still fine. This year, he's been playing, for the most part, really good football. He had a tough game on Sunday against a team that did not have a starting third receiver on most NFL rosters right now. It was bad. So who right now do you feel confident is as your number one corner? Who's the guy that you got to say, we got to cover this dude. It's, it's your time tonight. You're going to travel. Take this guy away. Who's your number one corner as of right now? Sam, we'll start with you. To be honest, we don't have a sauce gardener. We don't, we don't have a, a true lockdown corner. McDuffie, I think, is maybe as close as what we have, but he has his limitations as well. But I think as if you're looking at just pure cornerback, I think McDuffie is our best. But we've seen the we've seen some of his flaws. Like we've seen, we know that he's not perfect or a, an elite lockdown corner yet. But I think he does have all the skills to get to that point. I think with Sneed, the thing with him, it, it's strange. His most successful games are not where he plays pure cornerback. It's when he gets to do kind of a little everything. He's he's, and again, I don't want to. I want to try to put him in this light, but like kind of Eagles with, with Brian Dawkins, with weapon X, like he did a little everything. And again, that's why I, I still think Snead is a safety. Like, I don't think he, he suits the cornerback as well as we would hope. He's a great player, but I don't think he's got that elite coverage skill. He's just super athletic. And can make up for that. Like, if you could give him Trent McDuffie's coverage skills, you'd have one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. But I don't think he quite has that. So I think when he he succeeds the most, it's when Spags lets him blitz off the edge. Do kind of shift around and do a little bit of everything, not just try to play him at pure corner, because I think that's when he gets exposed. So I, I, I would say, as much as you might want to hate this, Sean, I'm not saying he's our third best defensive back. I'm saying he's our third best cornerback, but I think Snead might be that guy as far as the third best cornerback on the team compared to the two rookies. <laughs> because I think our with uh, Williams and, and McDuffie, you're looking at pretty solid cornerbacks that just have flaws and are still developing as, as rookies, essentially. And then Snead is that gadget guy. Jay, what about you? Who, who are you tabbing as the number one guy if you – no, you've got a tough matchup. Who's your number one corner you're calling on to take it? It sounds to me like Sam watches The Kingdom, the show put out by the Chiefs, because uh, like Jerry Steen, that's who they focused on this week, part of it, and how he is kind of an X factor on the defense. So, so that sounds like uh, Sam, Sam says no, so it sounds like there is just one more show out there that owes us money. I can – 100% say that I do not dabble in that one. So this is just straight off the cup. So I guess the kingdom. How many checks are we up to? 
<laughs> a lot. We're out a lot of money here, man. <laughs> as much as one could get in an armed robbery at a bank. <laughs> but I'll, I'll go quick here since I have not been quick about any answer tonight. It's McDuffie. He's His limitation is large receivers, but even then he has technique to make up for his shortcomings quite literally that he's not as tall as a Mike Williams, but he will push him into the boundary or be quicker to the ball than he is um, that type of deal. And I do think that when you see McDuffie get beat a lot, it's typically an incredible play. Now, no one's perfect, but a lot of the times I see him get beat. It's like, uh, that guy just is also an NFL athlete and got the best of him that time. But it's McDuffie for me. I don't think there's any doubt. And I think Sam laid out well about Snead being maybe a most important defensive weapon to use, kind of like a McCole Hardman on the offense or a Kadarius Tony, which is also something I'm hoping gets unleashed here pretty soon because I think that is one of the X factors on offense. But like I said, I think Sam laid it out well. Yeah, I won't say too much more. I think McDuffie's the guy I tab as pure cover corner, if for nothing else, the fact that when he was matched up one-on-one with Jamar Chase against the Bengals, there were three targets, two catches, 18 yards. That's the guy. And also that just kind of frees up Sneed to not have to do that. And then you can use him in the slot. You can use him as a uh, uh, outside corner if you want. You can use him as a blitzer. Like you can use him for all those things. So I, I'm with you guys. I Let's see what McDuffie can really do. Last thing on the defense, and we'll look ahead to the Chiefs matchup with the Seattle Seahawks. And I've kind of given my my answer on this, so I'm gonna put it. I won't I won't give any more on this last question. I'll just put it to you guys. Can this defense afford to not be 100% healthy going into the playoffs? Can they afford to have somebody not playing their normal allotted amount of snaps to be successful going in? Um, I've already given my opinions that I don't think this defense functions terribly well when one of their big pieces or, or really any of their starters are not on the field. I think you can definitely tell. Um, Sam, we'll let you bat lead off on this one again. How can this defense perform how it's expected to perform if they don't have everybody on the field 100%? No, I, I don't think you can. But, but in reality, I don't know if you can say that about half the teams in the NFL because of how the rosters are created. Not, not everyone has that, that depth that we wish we have. And the reality that most positions don't go more than one deep is probably a reality in a lot of places in the NFL. So no, I don't think that's, there are certain aspects of the defense. I'm not worried about like if one of our safeties didn't play, I don't know if we'd miss them that much. Like, if you filled in Cook for Thornhill, I don't know if you'd be too, like, notice it too much. If Sam, I'm going to stop but, right there and say, I absolutely noticed earlier in the year when Brian Cook played over the top of a Josh Williams or Jalen Watson. I'm hoping he's developed since then, but I definitely noticed when it wasn't one Thornhill. Fair. Okay. I don't pay that much attention, apparently, but uh, – other than that, I, I think there are positions you can, like, are outside of – I, I kind of disagree with the defensive line. You say in Frank – like, you missing Frank Clark. I don't think any of them are good enough that besides Chris Jones to say, you know, we can't live without any of these guys. Like, 
they're all not great this year. They're all some more serviceable than others, but still it, but there are definitely your key pieces, Chris Jones, your linebackers and your corners. If you don't have them, you're screwed. Jacob, what about you? Do you think this defense can still perform at a high, at, at, at least their C-level play that we, we all kind of graded them at, or Sam and I graded them at, um, if they don't have all their pieces on the field? I'll keep it simple on this one since I've used my extra time on the other ones and just say no. Elite, as always. All right, let's look ahead to the Chiefs versus Seattle Seahawks. Christmas Eve. The Chiefs will be taking on a former AFC West divisional opponent. So let's start with the negative. What does a Chiefs loss to the Seahawks look like? Geno Smith has come out of nowhere and has been a, a very good quarterback this year and has really kind of stabilized a lot of the, the aspects of that offense that we thought were going to be a real problem. DK Metcalf is DK Metcalf to Sam Chagrin. Tyler Lockett probably won't play in this game due to, I think it's a fractured finger. So it's unlikely he's going to play, so you're not going to have to deal with that weapon, but you're also going to have to deal with Ken Walker, who has shown he is a legitimate stud young running back. So what do you think a loss looks like for the Chiefs if it does come to that? Jacob, we'll start with you. Uh, Let's start with... Losing in the turnover differential, a personal foul, a couple turnovers by Mahomes, a couple Butker missed kicks, just making sure I list everything that is on the Chiefs bingo for losses. Uh, what am I missing? I'm definitely missing stuff here. Uh, a really weird penalty called. I think that's what it looks like. Again, I think the Seahawks are a – okay team which is the most easy thing i could say from a seven and seven team to say they're very okay or very average but i do think it's another game that's a good matchup for the chiefs because there's just not enough firepower on the other side to get into a boat race with them so the chiefs can play flat which we know they're well capable of but still sneak away with a win because at the end of the day you have patrick mahomes and that's enough. Sam, how about you? If the Chiefs lose to the Seahawks, what does it look like at the end of the day? Yeah, I think the Jacob outlined the majority of the bingo card. I think the one thing he's missing is allowing one player to go off for like 200 yards. We've seen it before, and that has happened in the past. And they have one player that can – or they have two players that can do that, as you said, John, with Kenneth Walker and then DK. If DK decides to just be the – freak of a human he actually is but again it, it just comes down to what chiefs are we going to see i think i can honestly i'll say that you know if you come out flat against this team you're probably going to lose because they're, they're not a bad team in any sense of the word um i think they've had kind of a skid these past four games obviously um starting losing to the raiders but i mean if you lose to the raiders i think your, your confidence goes down quite a bit, so I can understand the next three games losing. Yeah, I, I think it's it's primarily coming out, like Jacob said, coming out flat and, and just not players not performing to the level of expectation that we, we have of them. To quickly share before we go any further, as far as what defines an average team, 
looking at their schedule, they beat the bad teams and lost by a score to the good teams outside of they got smoked by San Francisco in week two, 27 to seven. But outside of that, everything else, one score game. The only other thing I will add is, you know, Jacob said turnovers. That was going to be one for me. But the only thing I'll add is you have to get a rush on Geno Smith. You just have to. You cannot rely on three rookie corners and and Legereus Sneed to cover DK Metcalf for four or five seconds. You just can't. He will beat you. You don't have anybody that matches up with him well. Legereus Sneed is too slight a frame to, to get physical with him. You know, Josh Williams has the physicality but not the speed. Trent McDuffie has a lot of the athletic traits and cover uh, covered skills, but it's it's just small compared to DK by a lot. You know, I think they're really catching a break that they don't also have to cover Tyler Lockett this game because he has been probably the quietest stud receiver on this team. Like he's he's on pace for another thousand yard double digit touchdown season. He has eight touchdowns already this year, and uh, what was it more than nine hundred yards? I think I had him at yeah nine hundred and sixty four yards this year with eight touchdowns. You're catching a break. So you've got one real problem to cover. Noah Fant has been better of late for the Seahawks, but he's not someone that you, I think, be terrified of. DK Metcalf, you have to be able to cover, and I don't think you can do that without getting a rush. So what does a win look like for the Chiefs? I think the easy thing, I'll just throw my two cents out here, is don't turn the ball over and you're probably going to be fine. You know, take care of the ball. Don't have 10 penalties, and it should be good. But what about you guys? Sam, we'll let you bat lead off here. What does a win look like? After the past couple of weeks, I'm I'm struggling to form what a win actually looks like because we've had to grind them out so hard. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. You continue to allow your running backs to do what they've been doing in their combined roles, and the defense doesn't suck. Jacob, what about you? What is what does a win look like for the Chiefs? Let me be overly confident here and say the NFC West is the uh, that's the division. This is right. Yes, correct. Yes. Okay. This is the division that the Chiefs actually have won comfortably against because they won by sixteen against the Rams with no one on that roster. Also, uh, and also. They smoked the Cardinals to open the season up. So let me be confident. And and then also the 49ers, obviously, put up big numbers against 49ers. So let me be confident and say they don't have to hardly do anything except for come out and score 40-ish points like they do on NFC West teams because I'm going to be confident this week. All right, so let's wrap this sucker up with our final score and terrible predictions for the Chiefs and the Seahawks, uh, last week, uh, Sam, you'll be happy to know Jacob gave two in your in your uh, absence. I said the Chiefs. Wait, which one were Sam's? Well, we'll oh, get to that. Made. We'll we'll get to that. Uh, starting with mine, uh, I said the Chiefs would win 31-23, so pretty close there, not too bad, and that they would have a 90% red zone efficiency. They were two out of three, so 66%. But a positive trend in the right direction for limited trips, but still came up significantly short there. Jacob, looking at yours here, 
Your first prediction, I'll let you pick which one was Sam's. You said that Ronald Jones would get 10 carries. Uh, Ronald Jones had one. You also said that Kadarius Tony would get 100 yards receiving, and he had five on one catch. So those were both Sam's is what I'll answer. <laughs> I'll be honest. After the Isaiah Pacheco fumble and Ronald Jones came in, I was like, hey, this might come true. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of faith in the Tony one being the first week off an injury. Both of them were obviously wishful thinking, but both those predictions were Sam's. Uh, and your final score to round things out was 28-9 to nine Chiefs. I so, did a bang-up job last week. Yeah, so let's let you go first here and uh, give me a final score. Give me some bold slash terrible predictions. Well, it's the NFC West, like I said. So we're going – I'm going to get the exact same score as the 49ers game and say 44 – and actually not the exact same one. 44-21 Chiefs. And then my bold prediction is – He's getting closer and closer, so I'll give Carl Loftus two sacks, and I'll give Leo Chanel one sack, so I'm going to distribute the sacks. It's Sack City. Geno Smith is not an elite athlete, so just as a prep to all of you, I think it is good in that sense too. I will say the Chiefs will get the victory. I think they bounce back. I think they know they've had a couple of snoozers here. They're going to want to come out and really sling it. I will say they get the win 34 to 28. I do think it'll be close. I think the, G the Seahawks offense is nothing to mess with. And I will say for my prediction that I, I'll, you know, I'll, I was bold with Jamar Chase. I'll be bold. I'll say BK Metcalf has uh, less than 70 yards receiving. And Sam, take us home. Since you missed out last week, you, you are the closer for tonight. Give us a final score and a bold slash terrible prediction. I think it will be a high-scoring affair in general. Say 30-20 to 20 with a missed Bucker PAT. So it's actually four touchdowns and a field goal. Just missed one of the PATs. And dude's been on fire recently, and I haven't started him in my Dynasty League once, and I'm kind of regretting it. Or still in the playoffs. Don't worry. I haven't, haven't lost yet, so it's not that bad. But uh, Jarek McKinnon gets uh, – say 150 total yards so combined rushing passing and another touchdown that'll do it for us folks we appreciate you joining us each and every week it's good to be back in full force it's good to get to talk about a chiefs win even if it's frustrating and it's good to talk about a seventh straight afc west championship onward and upward it was a, a weird last couple weeks hopefully the chiefs and iron some things out and give us a, a more relaxing victory to talk about next time. Uh, so make sure we're all tuning in because it's always a good time when you get to watch Chiefs football. Until then, you all get, stay safe out there. And we will talk to you next week.